We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where you learn how to be a leader and not just a manager of a to-do list. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. One of the best things about my job is being able to reach out and talk to different principals about the challenges that they're facing. And in the mastermind, we do that every single week with support for each other. Over the past few weeks, here are some of the things that the principals in that group have said that are useful to them. Getting feedback on keeping kids accountable, having a support group for me as a leader, learning about each other's challenges. All those things are little, small sentences, but they speak to the huge impact that the mastermind has on the people that are in it. And I'd love for you to be part of it. Go to transformativeprincipal.org slash mastermind. And I'd love to schedule a call with you so we can talk about whether or not the mastermind is right for you. That's transformativeprincipal.org slash mastermind. This episode is brought to you by John Cat Educational, a professional development publisher serving as the global leader in combining both research and practice in all materials. Find timely PD publications to support yourself and your faculty by visiting them online at us.johncatbookshop.com. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I am very excited to have on the program today Emma Turner, the author of a new book called Be More Toddler. Emma, welcome to Transformative Principle. Thank you for having me. So I'm really excited to talk to you because I think that the uh, book Be More Toddler, just the title of it is great. And it is by you and published by John Cat Educational, which is a sponsor of this podcast. And so I would love to hear more about how you decided to write this book and your unique circumstances that led up to that. Well, I was in a position where I was a co-head teacher, which was a shared headship. And it was one of the first ones that were set up in the UK, our first all-female co-headships back in 2009. And then during the period of the co-headship, I think there was a magic chair in our office because my co-head partner and I ended up having five babies between us in five years. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Which meant that not only was 
uh, the co-headship very different, but taking multiple maternity leaves within a co-headship was completely unheard of. And it was one day when I was on maternity leave with my third baby in the five years, and I was at a soft play centre with my children. I had a, at the time a five-year-old, a two-year-old and a, a newborn. And I bumped into a former colleague, another head teacher, great guy, lovely guy. And he spoke about my work and he said, it's lovely to see you. And he introduced his grandchildren. It was all lovely. And he said, oh, you were always going to do great things. You were so great. You were so this, you were so that. And I was like, oh, that's so lovely. That's so lovely. And got into the soft play and then suddenly thought, he's spoken about me totally in the past tense. Mm. Like now that I had become a parent, I was no longer in the leadership game. And I suddenly thought, do you know what? There is no voice out there that talks about being a leader and having other pulls on your time, whether that be parenting or a caring commitment or your own health and well-being or a hobby or just basically a life. And so I started to think about looking at leadership slightly differently. And whilst I was in the soft play, my two-year-old was just fearless and flinging herself off everything, throwing herself into everything and just having the best time adventuring. And I thought, I need to be a little bit more like her. <laughs> I mm-hmm. need to be my two-year-old. And that's where the idea was born, really, because then I started thinking about how all three of my children had completely changed the whole dynamic in our house, the way we lived, the way we structured everything in our lives. And I thought, if they were leaders, they'd be amazing at affecting change. And that's kind of where the Be More Toddler thing came from. Yeah, you know, my oldest daughter, when she was born, she totally changed our life. And then we noticed as each kid was born, they brought a different personality to it. And early on, when my daughter first started uh, school, one of her teachers said, well, she has great leadership qualities. And we were like, (laughs) what do you mean by leadership qualities? And what she meant by that was that she was very stubborn and knew what she wanted and was going to do everything she could do to get it. And and while stubbornness wasn't the the driving force. It was more like what you're saying that she was forcing everybody else to do what she wanted because she had that skill of sticking to what she knew needed to happen and then not relenting when the opposition came. Yeah. I talk in the book about finding your chocolate buttons, chocolate buttons. (laughs) buttons. I don't know whether you have them over there, but they're like little chocolate discs in a bag and you always give them to really tiny children. Mm -hmm. Um, the little snack, these chocolate buttons, and kids go wild for them over here. And so I once was in a post office once with my uh, eldest daughter, and I was trying to get these chocolate buttons off her because I didn't want her to have them, and she was absolutely resolute that she was not going to give up these chocolate buttons. And it didn't matter that we were in a post office that was very echoey with lots of people doing so much tutting, it sounded like a guy counter. And she was absolutely resolute. She was not going to give me those. She was really holding on to what to matter, what mattered to her. And that's what I talk about in the leadership part of the book. The first bit is find the chocolate button equivalent in your leadership. What is it that means the most to you that you are going to absolutely hold on to regardless? And as soon as you know what that is, as soon as you know what drives you and what you really want to achieve and what's, what's important to you, what your values are, then that drives all of your other leadership work because you're absolutely confident that you're making the right decision because it's linked to exactly what means the most to you. So one of the of the chapters is about finding chocolate buttons. <laughs> yeah, that's great. You know, I I believe that we uh, typically call those melting chocolates here in the United <laughs> States. 
So I did look up a picture and it's linked in the show notes at jethrojones.com slash podcast slash episode 340. And so you can go check that out if you don't know what chocolate buttons are. But those are what I love about that story is that she didn't care what else was going on, who was watching. She was focused on her goal. And that was that was what mattered. And and I think that that's so important when it comes to leadership to be able to know exactly what you're trying to get. And what I find, especially in education, is that so many leaders are satisfied with the status quo of just doing school and and getting through the process and not really trying to have core values that they believe so strongly that they will go to the ends of the earth to get those. How do you suggest people identify what their core values are? Because I think in education, it's easy to just say, well, I want kids to learn. But that I don't think is is good enough because if you didn't want kids to, if that wasn't a core value already, you wouldn't be in education. So how do you articulate that deeper so that it's something that you're willing to fight and work for to get? There's a brilliant book that helped me to clarify what I what I thought about education. And it's called The Magic Weaving Business by Sir John Jones. And I read that and it has completely transformed the way I think about education and moral purpose. And he talks about passion, wisdom, and righteous indignation. And he says, you have to find the thing that you're passionate about, passionate about, get the wisdom and the knowledge together about that and find the thing that you've got that righteous indignation about. What is it that really annoys you that's actually wrong about the system that you want to make right? And he said, it's when those three come together that that's when you found your kind of moral purpose. And he'd interviewed people all walks of life, from all kind of business backgrounds, public, private sector, educationalists, non-educationalists. And he looked at their effective leadership and he found about passion, wisdom, righteous indignation. And it was through the work that I'd done in the schools that I worked in and and other leadership roles where I'd worked across counties and regions. and, And I started to sort of see patterns of things that, yes, I agree with that. And no, I really don't agree with that. And it was kind of the experience of finding the things that, you think are wrong that helps you to see what you want to be right and it's finding that thing that you you're absolutely indignant about that you know this really does need to change yeah i really like that i think that that's a good way to do it and and it's easy to think that if you are finding things wrong then you know you're negative nelly or a naysayer or whatever but i think the reality is is there's so there's so many facets to education that it's more than just, you know, kids coming to school, taking a test and moving on to the next level. It's there's so much more to it that that it can be so much more than that. And if you reduce it to just that, then it's really it's really nothing at all because anybody could do that. There's nothing special that makes you able to to do that. I love that idea of righteous indignation as well. And <laughs> I think that's really important. I, I can't, but I can't take the credit for that. That's Sir John Jones. And if anybody's anybody needs a new hero in education, just look up Sir John Jones. And if you ever get the chance to listen to him speak or you know, see him in person or read any of his work, he is just people bandy around the word inspirational. But honestly, that guy, <laughs> I met him once. I had to introduce him at a conference. I booked him for one of our trust conferences. And I was tasked with introducing him. And I can honestly say it was the most nerve-wracking moment of my career because I'm <laughs> genuinely meeting my hero. It's a bit like when you go on X Factor and things and they, you know, the contestants have to sing with Beyonce or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. 
Yeah, well, uh, that sounds really good. I'm definitely going to have to buy that book and and check that out because I personally have never heard of John Jones before. So that'll be a neat opportunity to learn more from him. So you also talk about how leadership is for the many and not for the few. Can you tell me what that means? It's kind of more about the fact that leadership doesn't have a uniform. You don't have to be a certain kind of person who fits a certain kind of mold and act in a certain kind of way. Because when I was, when we started the co-headship with my colleague, Claire and I started the co-headship, it was seen as really new, really different, really innovative, really fresh in a way, and, and almost, almost rebellious mm. because it was kicking against what had always been. And, and even now in the UK, I don't know what the, the US system is, but the majority of schools still have the one person, one leader, all time. And sort of seen as doing something completely different. But it was just us getting on with the job of work that needed to be done at the time. And then when we started to be asked to talk about what we'd done, people were so shocked that you could do leadership differently. And one of the reasons that I wrote the book was to sort of point out that this doesn't have, just because leadership's always been done like this, by this kind of person in this kind of way, saying these kind of things and doing these kind of things, that doesn't mean that that's how it always has to be. And so actually the pool of talent from which we can pick and develop so many more leaders is much wider than people think. And because each school and each educational setup organisation is completely different in terms of its demographic, its intake, its structure, its infrastructures, its organisations, you can't just have one kind of person leading as well, because that leads to a very narrow narrative and a very narrow pool of experience that, that those people may have had. And that having a much more diverse and broad ranging type of leader will only enrich the system and enrich the conversations around education. And I wanted to encourage more people to think of themselves as leaders as well, because if you can run a classroom of 30 kids, and teach well and manage all the support staff and the relationships with parents and all the pastoral stuff and you're already a leader mm-hmm. and it's realizing that those things are transferable into leadership and yes you need to amass experience and professional knowledge and, and associated leadership knowledge but actually ultimately if you're a classroom teacher and you're really effective at what you're doing a lot of that legwork's already been done and you're or you're already leading you're just leading um, pupils rather than, than adults and yes there's a lot of leadership learning that needs to go on but more people need to recognize that actually they have a lot more to bring to the leadership table than they may initially think yeah i i wholeheartedly agree with that and you know a lot of times we at least here in the states we put together leadership teams to to give people the title of leadership but the truth is the leadership is happening uh, certainly with the culture in the school already long before any principal walks in the door and any head teacher walks in the door it is it's already there and people are already leading that and making their actions or making decisions about the leadership in the building already and too often we forget that that there's there's the positional authority which is your title but then there's also the what's it called i forgot the word now but there's some other kind of leadership that is because of who you are and what you do that that becomes a leader and, you know, we often think that you have to look or act or be a certain way. And that's just not the case. I was I was helping a, a guy who was trying to become a, a school administrator a few months ago, and he was just filling his head with all these false ideas 
that he couldn't do it because he hadn't taught a certain number of years or hadn't coached a certain program. And to be a, a principal, you have to be a coach or something like that. And I was like, man, somebody is filling your head full of lies because that is not the case. And and so what advice would you give to somebody who's in that position who's like, I just can't do this because of whatever excuse they come up with? Some For some people, experience brings confidence. So some people will ultimately feel better if they've got a few years under their belt or a few you know, sets of different experiences that they can pull, you know, pull from. For some people, that works. For other people, I mean, I was a I was a very young leader. I was a national strategy consultant for our national numeracy strategy in my third year of teaching. And I was going in and I think I was, what would I have been, 25, 26. And I got a lot of pushback because I apparently hadn't been in the job for long enough. But actually, a great leadership lesson that I learned there were from those leaders who took not me at face value in terms of age or stage, but actually what I had to say. And it was that kind of belief and generosity and professional respect other leaders that taught me about how great leadership isn't about being in a certain position or having a certain amount of experience or having gone through a particular route or, you know, amassed a certain amount of professional certificates and, and degrees or whatever. Actually, leadership's a, a real state of mind. And if you are really clear about what you want to achieve and you're a great communicator and you have integrity and honesty and the ability to take people with you, it doesn't matter how many years you've been doing something, it's a completely different mindset to sort of say, do you know what? I believe I can and I know what I want to achieve. And thinking like that, thinking I must have this number of certificates in my folder and have gone through this number of years worth of experience. Because actually, the best leaders are the ones who then develop other leaders as well. The greatest thing a leader can do is develop an organisation or a school or, or anything that can run in their absence really well. Because Leadership isn't some kind of secret club that you need to amass a certain number of points to get into. It's actually a, a way of working and a way of thinking that's completely different. And, and your job as a leader is to grow new leaders. So if you're working somewhere that doesn't encourage you to think like a leader, I'd think, am I in the right place? <laughs> yeah. Yep, absolutely. And I've had that experience where I was a I was an administrator before and the culture was we pretty much want you to do these tasks and not seek to grow anybody else, not seek to help them become leaders themselves, but to stay in your position as a as an assistant principal and just deal with discipline and see that as the the extent of your career. And I thought, man, that is not that is not exciting to just for anybody, you know, even to say to to a teacher to just be a teacher and and never seek for anything more than that. I think you should always have some aspect of you growing and getting better and helping others and serving others more. That's really what what it should be about. John Cat Educational supports high-quality teaching and learning by providing publications that are research-based, practical, and focused on the key topics proven essential in today's and tomorrow's schools. The latest John Cat publications include a book whose bold, transformative ideas amaze and infuriate people around the world, according to one reviewer. A title from Global Leaders in Curriculum Planning, Practice, and Retrieval. One book that says, Stop Talking and Start Doing with regard to teacher well-being. 
and much more. These books, used by educators of all roles across North America and worldwide, amplify fresh, engaging voices with practical strategies to create transformative change. Learn more in our show notes at jethrojones.com slash podcast. The last thing I want to talk to you is this idea that leadership isn't difficult and that kids do it all the time. Can you talk a little bit about that too? <laughs> in the book, I start off about saying that if you walk into a house that houses a toddler, where a toddler lives, there is no no way you can't not you know can't realize that a toddler lives there because their evidence and their stamp on on that building will be absolutely everywhere from like the little shoes in the hall and the push chair right through to the little step stool by the sink and the, the programs that are on the tv and the scheduling for the house you just know and toddlers and babies and manage to affect change across an entire lifestyle i remember my husband and i before we had the children we used to come home. It's like, should we go to the gym? Should we go for a drink? Should we go out for a meal? Yeah. <laughs> the kids is like, it's your turn to do bath time. <laughs> and we never speak of going out for a meal again. No, we do go out. Um, <laughs> things, things change massively. Everything from the way you behave to the way you sleep, or in my case, don't sleep with my insomnia sleep thieves, to the to what you eat, where you go, and these. People who change our worlds completely and change our homes, change our lives, they can't even speak. Mm-hmm. Yet they quickly change everything that we do. So their leadership capacity or what they do teaches us so much about effective leadership. And, and the three things that I say at the beginning is about they, they've got our moral buy-in. So developing moral buy-in in your, in your leadership is your first thing. So doing the right thing. Because no parent wants to be the parent that just says, do you know what? I've had enough of you today. I'm going, to go to, I'm going down the coffee shop. I'm going to get myself yeah. a coffee. <laughs> you just look after yourself, kid, because I've had it. So you just want to do the right thing all the time. So making sure that people buy into your righteous indignation and your moral purpose. And the second one is that children have this huge emotional driver for us. We absolutely love them to bits, even though they throw yogurt at us, you know, tip stuff over, wake up all night, puke everywhere. We we actually enjoy the parenting experience. And so developing a culture at a school where even when times are tough, people like coming to work is your second part of leadership. So develop that moral buy-in, that moral purpose. Get make your place a place where people want to come and work and enjoy the work that they do, and that's done through myriad different ways. From them, you know, providing great professional development, so great collegiality, well-supported programs in school, or you know, there's all sorts of ways that you can make people want to come to work. And the last one is every parent and the wider family and community around that child know what's best for that kid. As in, you don't expect a newborn to put their own shoes on you might expect a toddler to put their own shoes on. Everybody's really clear about the expectations for different stages of development. So in leadership, it's the same, you know, with any aspect of your work in an organisation, having a clear plan for what you want to achieve, whether that be staff development, whether it be curriculum development, whether it be development of the buildings or the site, having really clear plans and making sure everybody understands that. It's the third thing. So there's only three things you need to do in leadership. Moral buy-in, Emotional drivers make people happy and have a clear plan for what you want to achieve together. And that's all kids do to get to get you to completely turn your world upside down. And yeah. so if you do those three, if you get those three things right, then all of the other leadership stuff kind of clicks into place. 
Now, they're not necessarily dead easy to, to do, but to explain, they're really straightforward. And I've spoken to so many leaders and so many aspirant leaders in the, in the run-up to this, but where I pointed out those three things, and they were like, oh, yeah, that's, that's really, <laughs> really straightforward. So it's not difficult. It's just three things. The execution a little bit more difficult, but basically understanding what you need to do is the three things. Yeah, absolutely. And those those three things are are the qualities that all of my greatest leaders have had. And not just people who have been my supervisors or been above me in the hierarchy, but those who are leaders. You know, I think about the librarian at my last school, Tana Martin. She is awesome. And she had moral buy-in. She she made you want to do the right thing because of who she was. She made sure that wherever you were when you were with her, you felt good about things. She was very conscientious about making sure that people knew how important they were. And then you always knew with her what good work looked like. And she made it very clear. And she, I was her supervisor and she was leading me all the time. That's what was so <laughs> amazing is I was like, hmm, what would Tana think about this? And, and it made it so that I made better decisions because she inspired me to do a better job. And I just think that's so vital to the things that we that we're doing every day. So Emma, my last question is, what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative principal like you? Oh, one thing. During coronavirus shutdown? Or yeah. <laughs> because the UK system at the moment, all of our schools are closed and we're kind of in some emergency coronavirus plan. So no one, no one really knows what the plan is at the minute. It's just kind of from day to day. But when... Yes. Things are normal when things are kind of usual, should I say? Because it's never a normal day in education. When things are, are more on an even keel, I think one of the things that they should do is to look at how they can have more adventures in school. Because one of the things toddlers do is they always look for adventure, and as soon as you're having an adventure, you're doing something interesting you're doing something challenging, you're doing something different, and you're doing something that engages other people. Now, what that adventure might be, it might be an adventure into a new way of delivering curriculum, it might be a new way of engaging parents, it might be a new way of designing TPD for your staff, but it should always be something that kind of piques your interest because it's so easy to get bogged down in the day-to-day grind of just getting through what needs to be done, that we sometimes lose the fact that actually leadership is about adventuring. Because if you're not adventuring into somewhere new and somewhere different and somewhere exciting and something that's developing and that's improving, then you're not leading, you're just standing still. So I would say if you want to transform, think really carefully about where you want to take your staff on their next adventure, just like a toddler. Yeah. Boy, I love that. That is that is very good. So want to uh, remind everybody they can get your book at called Be More Toddler at a link in the show notes at jethrojones.com slash podcast slash episode 340. And they can follow you on Twitter at Emma underscore Turner 75. Emma, thank you so much. I rue the day I did that Twitter handle because it gives away my age. <laughs> <laughs> Changes to 85 and doing some good life. Hey, Emma, nobody would have known that. Nobody would have known that. Maybe just like the number 75. (laughs) 
Well, that's great. Okay. Thank you again, Emma, for being part of Transformative Principle. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you to our valued partner, John Cat Educational. If you are a leader looking to make transformative change by providing yourself and your leaders and teachers with professional development that is research-based and rigorous, yet easy to digest and full of practical strategies, check out the latest publications from John Cat. Visit us.johncatbookshop.com to find information on bulk orders or learn much more in our show notes. You can also use the code TRANSFORMATIVE to save a bundle at us.johncatbookshop.com. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com slash BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E.